out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is David Eastall and this is the C86 Show. Welcome once again to another thrilling ride of life as I'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't and some you should. As always, we have a special guest and this week, all the way from Australia, it is going to be the turn of the hard-ons indeed because um, quite recently I spoke to their guitarist and founder member Peter Black to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that other groovy sort of stuff. So, before we have any chat and the interview, I think we should play your favourite of mine. This is Girl in a Sweater. Indeed, that is perfection, and that was also the hard-ons with the track titled, you probably guessed it, didn't you? Um, The Girl in the Sweater, that uh, came out in 1986, a fine year for music, I do believe. It was on Waterfront Records, make a note, I will test you at the end of the show, 86. I do think it's also the year that the Bundy Boys album, Shabini, came out. 
I love that sort of stuff. Anyway, this is David Esau. This is the C86 Show. And this week's special guest is going to be Peter Black from Australia's finest punk pop band, The Hard-Ons, because I spoke to him a few weeks ago to find out more about what it was all about. The beginning, the middle and the end. Or is there an end? I'm not sure. Um, There isn't, actually, because he's still playing music. So anyway, it's a fantastic interview. So do check it out. Don't pause or leave it now because frankly it might just change your life but before we have any more music or chat i think we should do do some admin if you want to contact me you can via facebook twitter just go to at c86 show and also all these shows which i've been doing for nearly two and a half years have all been podcasts so you can get them on spotify itunes podbean and mixcloud I know, four different uh, platforms. But anyway, before any more chat, I think we should play another track by the band. This is Just Being With You.
Indeed, we are hyperventilating with excitement. That's another track by the Hard Ons titled Just Being With You. I mean, if you like the band, fill your boots. This show is going to be solid gold, easy action, because frankly, it's all going to be about the Hard Ons all the way from Australia. But anyway, this is going to be the first part of the interview that I had with Peter, um, where I began by asking him, well, I'd mentioned about the first time I heard uh, the band, which was the John Peel show, when he played The Girl in the Sweater, which was one of those, oh my God, JFK moments. Um, and then after that little bit of introduction, I mentioned or asked him about the beginning of the band and how it all began. And this was Peter's reply. Peter, what, how, where did it all begin? Take it away. Just almost the same as, like, almost every other band, I, I guess. It was, um, like, I did initially start it, and, like, I've always loved music, like, massively as a little kid. And I think the thing that really got me, um, look, I did read a science article that's that said in later years you do tend to make up your own memories, but I do remember this really strongly, just being a little kid, and didn't need to be strapped in a seatbelt back in because I was born in '66, and um, my parents had a Beetle, and I used to stand in the middle of it and stare at the radio because I was transfixed by it. And like one of the earliest songs that really blew my marbles would have been, um, I guess, would have been 1970 was uh, "Here Comes the Sun" by the Beatles, which which was saturated on the radio and was stupidly powerful but then so all these years just loving music and being an australian you know loving like like the sort of the stuff that everyone else did at that stage um being a teenager at school um um like Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Ted Nugent, Van Halen, um, and and a hell of a lot of ACDC, like ACDC and Angels and um, like Rose Tattoo, some of those really early hard hard rockin' bands from Australia. Um, in particular, ACDC, like that would have been one of the first records I ever brought, I think was Let There Be Rock and Power Age. Like, and still to this day, those records are huge for me. But it all seemed a little bit unattainable, that stuff. Like, you know, you would listen to something like, well, obviously, you know, you listen to Jimi Hendrix or Van Halen and ACDs, and it's like, God, I have to go to college or something to be able to, you know, be in a band, you know, to play like this. But then, like, watching all the music shows on TV, you know, loving all them as well as, you know, the radio and, and everything, because, you know, radio back then was awesome, you know whack it on, you know, you'd hear things like David Bowie and stuff. It was just, you know, El Queen or whatever. It was just, I don't know, every song was, was wonderful. And then, um, yeah, watching this this program that I used to watch on Saturday mornings called Donny Sutherland's After Dark, and um, they had an end-of-decade special. So it would have been, I guess, you know, right at the end of 79 or beginning of, of 1980, I can't remember which, and, you know, watching it all and loving it. And then when it got to 77, he said, and punk reared its ugly head, and they showed a clip of the pistols doing pretty vacant. And that was it for me. <laughs> yes, I think like that was- it. It was incredible. Like it was definitely one of those earth tilts on its axis moment because 
Well, it was insanely exciting. Like, you know, even the fact, like, if, if you if you look at the clip and you see Steve Jones sneering, like, it's hard to tell you how insane that was back then because, you know, everything was, you know, even someone like ACDC, you know, which was really, you know, just dirty and, you know, aggressive and, you know, there was nothing at all nice about it. But, you know, just, I don't know, just Steve Jones sneering was like, what the fuck is going on? And it was, it was just brilliant. And I think I got on my skateboard, um, pedaled, to Kesha's place and said, we're forming a band. It's going to be punk. I'm playing guitar. (laughs) That's how we started. Yes. And did you, um, I mean, obviously that was the blueprint because like you said, when I was growing up and I'm just a little bit older than you, I was obsessed with my brother's record collection and as well as the sort of what was being played like Top of the Pops, but the record collection did consist of that. There was a certain amount of prog rock and then heavy metal, but there was that element of kind of um, Black Sabbath and Deep Purple and, and those sort of bands. But everything looked like it was quite, like you mentioned, that it was quite unattainable because it was so complicated and heavily produced. So so when punk happened, it was, I suppose, it was a bit like very early rock and roll. It did seem to be like, like the new musical Express said, you know, you can learn three chords and now you can start a band. And it was a bit like, oh, I thought there was some sort of mystique and you had to sort of be a millionaire to be in a band and a private jet. But But no. It all changed with the punk scene. I, I know it, it. It you get people saying now, like all oh, it. You know, technically it wasn't that important, and it's like, well, well, maybe it wasn't, um, but it definitely was for a whole bunch of people, and for me, massively. And then, you know, even as I got more into it, and you also have to remember, like that first punk explosion was just musically phenomenal like none of the bands were identical um all of them were good and 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 i mean across the board like you know for me like i i you know i knew there was a weird record shop in town so i bolted there with as much punk uh with my pocket money as i had you know to buy the pistols record and then you know once i gobbled that up you know, with my next lot of pocket money, I'd go there and it's like, right, what else is punk? And the guy would just laugh and go, well, I don't know, you want to hear the cramps? You know, I'd, I'd hear that and go, oh, my God, I need it. You know, then, you know, next, oh, well, I don't know, what do you want? Plasmatics? Oh, my God, that's even better, you know, next, you know, and there was just, I don't know, I just couldn't find the shit record, you know, and I I hate to be negative with any, any bands or any shit like that, but for me, it didn't really become negative until it got to that sort of second phase when there was, um, I guess, when the oi sort of started. And, you know, some of the bands like Exploited or, um, um, you know, those Gary Bushel comps came out. You know, like I brought them as well because I was like, is this punk? Uh, yeah. Okay, I need it. And then, you know, it'd be like, oh, this, this is starting to wear off. But then it got better anyway because, you know, then I discovered post-punk, you know, like Killing Joke and and Pill and Birthday Party and, you know, and then I even got into 60s punk, um, you know, almost almost at the same time as the 70s stuff, you know, I discovered like, you know, the garage rock and I don't know, it was like, it just 
blew my puny mind to smithereens. Yes, yes, the Nuggets. All series. of it did, all of it. <clears throat> yes, I think it was the Sonics and the Nuggets compilations that we all went, blimey, this is amazing. So, um, yes, that was another moment. So when you started, because you were a three-piece, did you sort of get a sound together quite quickly that you thought, yeah, this, this is working for us? Well, it's not like, I don't know, we didn't even really think about anything like that. It was more, It was more to do with just let's just see what happens like just what we started doing was what what just started happening and i do remember a quote from tom waits an awesome quote where he said if you want to learn songwriting just listen to dylan and for me it was more like especially initially it was like if you want to learn songwriting listen to the ramones because they they were the most basic band of the lot, yet their songs were incredible, like fucking incredible. So whenever someone says to me, oh, man, that's simpleton shit, like I'm, I get furious and almost want to punch on because it's like you're really missing the fact that these guys could make so much out of so little. Um, but just the fact that it was so basic – so for people like me who was just learning, you know, like I desperately wanted to write songs. I wanted to do everything, write, perform, play, you know, record, just the whole lot. And they were a real good step into, you know, you break their songs down, you know, you, you know, you um, play along to the records and it's like far out. Okay, so this is a verse and this is a chorus and, you know, and just their melodies and you know, just and even the, you know the way they put it together, the dynamic, um, the dynamicism of uh, you know of their tracks. Like I don't know if I'm getting that terminology right, but so I don't know. I guess that was our doorway into like starting to write our own songs as well, and you know, just like every band again, you know, we and we will do covers. Like we love, like obviously the Aussie punk stuff massively. So we would, you know try to play songs by the saints and radio birdman and and x and you know we used to play um like i guess they're not that well known outside of australia but like bands like psychosurgeons and thought criminals and stuff and we would we would pretty much just copy all of those like every rehearsal we'll try to play a new song and and you know just eventually learn how to start writing your own Yes, because 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 being obsessed and being any you know one of those indie kids from that period, and sort of and slightly still I suppose, but but the, during that decade we were always kind of looking for sort of those obscure bands and John Peel, this DJ, was always good at doing that because you know, and there's nothing better than finding somebody you'd never heard of before and nobody else knew. So from Australia we were getting the Triffids and the Go Betweens and then obviously from New Zealand the Chills. So there was that kind of scene, but but the 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 hard ones did have a completely different sort of sound but you did have people like nick cave who'd come over as well so it was so with them with your musical kind of um community did you sort of fit into any particular group or did you all feel kind of like just a bunch of individuals oh we definitely didn't fit in i think like it and it's kind of one of my proud achievements i think that when we started that as I said before, like that wave of punk that came later, which which I think might have been, you know, I guess you had some people like Sham69 who thought, no, punk should be like this. 
And then you had people like Magazine that went, well, no, nah, we kind of think the possibilities are this. Like I definitely preferred the Magazine side of things. But um, in Australia, there was a lot of bands that were, you know, like Oi was big, Street Punk was big, and unfortunately – the Nazi skinhead scene was was huge. Like so many gigs were massively violent, like leftover Sharpie scenes and all that sort of stuff. And I fucking hated it. Like we we detested it. And for us, it was generally frightening because we were a suburban band, like suburban kids. And we grew up in a really um, sort of lower middle class area, I guess, where where it was mainly immigrants. So uh, as you know, with the hard-ons, you know, there's me, uh, you know, former Yugoslavia descent, um, uh, Kesh from Sri Lanka and Ray originally from uh, Korea. So us playing in, you know, in that environment, you know, just saying yes to every gig and then end up playing with, you know, fucking bands where their fans will be zig hiling us and throwing bottles and, you know, generally, you know, just like violence and shit, like fuck was awful. But, you know, and, and by, by the time we played, we already, we already switched because you have to understand a huge influence for us was the Australian punk stuff, but the Australian bands just, they didn't even like the term punk. So, you know, another earth shattering moment for us is like, you know, when we discovered the saints and thought, my God, this is even this is even dirtier than any of the you know bands from overseas. And and look at them, you know, dressed fucking like Joe Blow, you know, next door neighbor. Like they seriously couldn't give a fuck about anything other than the music. Whereas you know, you know, you look you look at pictures of Clash, and you know, I love the band, but you know, to me, you know, when you see photos of them, you know that to me, they look like ninnies, you know, um, you know, that fashion sort of thing that was quite important in the UK scene was, was almost anathema to us. And, um, you know, and then we got back into metal really quickly as well. And, you know, we, you know, as I said before, like garage, we went from garage, you know, to, to Motown, um, to the more psych stuff and, you know, who and small faces, like we were greedy little shits when it came to music. So by the time we started playing live, we had long hair. We were doing Kiss and ACDC covers as well as 60s punk. And, you know, we'd get lumped in with all these punk bands and half the audience wanted to kill us and the other half were like, oh, wow, music was meant to be, well, for everyone and, you know, fun and enjoyable and really inclusive. And I'd like to have a feeling that we sort of really – you know, paved the way for that god awful, you know, racist period of punk rock to, um, you know, be be put to bed. And that is going to be the first part of my interview with Peter Black. Yes, I almost said Blake, but then that's a completely different person. Anyway, uh, this is David Eastall, the C eighty six show. I think we should cut it up with a little bit more music from the band, just for a change. Um, this is a track titled "Where Did She Come From." God, that was a dramatic pause there. Anyway, there was no pause on the title. It was just me. I know. I didn't go to acting school anyway. But um, anyway, the music. Take it away.
And that's a track titled Where Did She Come From? from their 1990 album, Yummy. This is David Eastall. This, the C86 show, this is going to be the second part of my interview with Peter Black, where I've been rabbiting on um, about the 80s music scene and the different types that had, had appeared from the mainstream to the indie to the kind of jangly dance and then grunge. And I was curious to know where the hard-ons fitted in and whether they were part of that world that had started to appear from Seattle and on the 4AD label and hoping that he was going to say, yes, we fitted in there. And this was Peter's response. I know it's gripping. Peter, where did you fit in? No, not really, to be honest. Like a lot of those bands that you mentioned, like I did appreciate them, but didn't really love them a lot. Like I, I think the sort of stuff that we were getting into, we were really looking back a lot. And then the contemporaries that we loved, like um, we really loved like loved a lot of the American hardcore, the early stuff, like Love Black Flag and um, Poison ID in particular. Um, loved the post-punk stuff, like just massively, in particular, you know, bands like Birthday Party and Pill. Um which I guess you know weren't part of our era, but um, you know the sort of bands that we felt a little bit more affinity to would have been like I guess the the Descendants, um, Huskadoo, um, and a lot of the bands that were happening here, like that scene that you were sort of describing with the Triffids and stuff, it did seem slightly, you know, and, and I could be wrong. A uh, little bit toffee-nosed, but we would play for a lot of contempt. Uh, you know, with with bands here, um, like um, probably not so much known outside of Australia, but bands like the Spunk Bubbles and uh, Mass Appeal and Hellman, and um, you know, lo- like there was a lot of bands on our label that we would play with, um, Eastern Dark and. Um, Silver Rifles and stuff like that. I, I guess we felt a little bit more of an affinity with those bands than, um, um, you know, say the Pixies or Sonic Youth. But mind you, you know, I, I loved all those bands as well. Yes. So coming back to 1986, only 33 years ago, because actually one of my favourite bands, you mentioned it was Huskadoo. So when they did those you know, albums, because they, they kind of had that sense of a really kind of um, like Beatles-esque Beards, but kind of like kind of with noise so when you recorded that classic single girl in a sweater i remember thinking god this sounds a bit like you know uh, teenage kicks by the undertones which i hope that's not <laughs> <laughs> it had that kind of youthful enthusiasm and excitement and i that you know i've never heard anybody else mention that connection but in my little brain it was like oh well, god this is just the most perfect pop song so can you remember r- writing and recording that Yes, I can actually. Like 
the funny thing, and, and you know, I've never hidden this, and I, I've mentioned it a few times, but people sort of brush it past. I I got the initial idea, um, like, okay, just getting back again, like, as you said, Beatlesque, like, we love pop. Like, you know, the, the pop side of things was really, really attractive to us, like, like, um, you know, bless Pete Shelley's soul. Like, you know, I think Buzzcocks, you know, their early records are some of the best records ever fucking made. And, you know, we definitely loved a lot of that. Like, you know, loved playing heavy, loved our metal. But, you know, I still still sort of call our band a pop band at heart more than anything else. Um, and, and with Girl in a Sweater, like I do remember, like I was driving home from work, and I used to listen to this Golden Oldies station because you know they'll play hell of a lot of '60s and '50s stuff, um, and and I don't know who it was, where it was Fats Domino, Fats Domino, or or Chubby Checker, or, or one of those guys. But the opening line to the song was, "Who's that girl in that high school sweat? Who's that girl in a high school sweater? I sure as heck would like to." get to know her better and i thought that was the sickest opening line so that's where the song was launched from and when i you know did the lyrics and shit i it was just too difficult to get rid of and when i you know told the guys i go but you know i ripped it off like i we well, didn't rip it off he just ripped off the first line it doesn't matter so that's where, you know, the initial sort of spark came from. It, it all grew from that opening line. And then recording was was triple exciting for us because it was our second recording session. It was the first in a little bit more of a expensive, more sort of expensive uh, studio because we had a label by then that really believed us and gave us some money to do it. And we had Rob Younger, the lead vocalist of Radio Birdman, um, come in. He really dug the track and goes, man, I'd love to work with these guys. And, yeah, so we went into the studio with Rob Younger from, you know, one of one of the guys that we, you know, as little kids would, well, and we still, still were little kids, you know, we used to, um, you know, play a bunch of Radio Birdman songs. And, yeah, here he is. We're recording with him. It was pretty fucking unbelievable yes god so yes and obviously it kind of got airplay all over the world because john peel picked it up and gave it a spin and us indie kids were like yeah this is the next kind of band to check out all the way from australia you know and, and obviously i mean i know they were a bit more i think the word fey could be mentioned in the triffids and the go-betweens you know the sensitive souls of life aren't they really so um but you know, us us sensitive kind of introspective kids kind of liked all that kind of stuff, so um, it kind of appealed. But then sometimes you need something which is a bit more basic and rock and roll, isn't it? So, girl in a sweater, and and I suppose you know, teenage kicks was the other one that you just felt really good when you heard it. You thought, God, that's just made me feel a lot better about life. Oh, that's unreal. Well, that's what that's what good music does to you. I mean, it still does it to me. I'm still moved to tears by you know, music. I've never gotten tired of it or, you know, bored of it or, or anything. You know, in fact, I don't know, each day just my love for it just gets stronger. And, you know, yeah, you hear a good song and you feel like you can fly. And that's 
that's pretty special. I think music is, you know, I, I think the human race in so many ways, especially, you know, now, uh, current political climate is such a fail. But, you know, then I'll play a song and it'll be like, man, but somehow we've invented music. <laughs> so we're not completely useless. No, this is true, actually. I know with the UK, we used to sort of boast that, you know, our greatest exports were sort of banking and, you know, the creative arts, you know, banking. And and then a few years ago, the banking world looked ter- terrible and you thought, well, at least we've still got the creative arts. But they, they are sort of doing their best to try and destroy that a bit. But anyway, as a small little nation, we do quite a lot of good stuff. But one thing that sort of kind of doing this show that sort of came up that I hadn't really appreciated as, as sort of just an obsessive fan was most bands have a, have a sort of a narrative of five, bizarrely, five years where they get together, they make a bit of a sound, and then in the case of the UK, you know, John Peel would give it a spin. That would give them that bit more airplay. So they were starting to play in front of people who weren't just their friends and family. And then, you know, they'd get that John Peel session. Then that first album, things were going good. Second album, a bit tricky. And if any band from the UK ever did America, they would come back kind of broken and in tears. I mean, and then after five years, they thought, oh, we've had it. So how did the, the hard-ons? Because obviously you, you in the 80s were just on a roll. You were... Things were coming out left, right, and centre, wasn't it? And touring as well. So things were looking good at that stage. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think. Look, I, I think indie music got got totally shafted, uh, gutted from the inside out, and it's no fault no fault of of Nirvana, but the post Nirvana thing was really, really difficult for independent music, true independent music. Cause, um, the indie labels went crazy thinking, shit, we can, you know, really make some money out of this. And so sort of, it sort of dove in and, um, pretty much took over. Like even the label that we had, um, you know, which we thought, you know, we're, we're getting close on to a decade and, you know, things were great. And, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, they started to say, well, you you can't rock up the photo shoots looking like that. And it's like, what? What do you mean? It's like, well, for fuck's sake, you know, go have a shave and, you know, wear something other than a footy jersey. And, you know, that was a real eye-opener for us. Um, and, and obviously not a good one. And I think the other thing, you know, as you say, you get some bands that have this five-year period. I think the bands that keep going are the ones that are really, you know, like for me personally, and and you have to understand that, you know, anything that I say is just me. It's not, you know, necessarily the rest of the band. But, you know, for me, music is a is a huge artistic pursuit. And I want to I want to know it all and I want to explore it all and I want to, you know, in a lot of ways attempt it all as well. So... I think the bands that stick around for five years, you know, give it a go and then, you know, go, oh, this is hard. I better get on with life now. But then you get other people who are like, well, I've done this for five years. I want to try something else now. Because that was something else that happened with us. And our last album in the initial period, which was called Too Far Gone, there was, it wasn't the same as the other records we made. And, And although people like it now, I can tell you, Back in the day, it wasn't received very well at all. Even our label was like, you know, this record that you've made, it's garbage. And we were, we were 
what's the word? There was a lot of things that we felt, and we just thought, you know what, this is just shit. It's starting to get really tainted, and we just broke up. And almost immediately, even before the band broke up, me and Ray started another project, another band called Nunchaka Superfly. And so, you know, so that that made us really, really happy musically, and, and we not only loved it to death, you know, we still love it to death. Like we've got a we've got a double album just um, just about to come out, and you know, then after I'm not sure, might have been five six years of that, I was finding myself still writing songs that were very hard on flavored, and. Um, you know, we were still friends and, you know, we would get together and have a yak. And then, you know, one day it was like, do you ever miss it? And it's like, nah, I, I don't think so. Yeah, maybe. Oh, shit, I don't know. You know, now that you've asked me, I, I honestly don't know. And, you know, and, and I said, well, you know, I still sort of write songs in that vein. You know, it's hard to switch the tap off. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Let, let's just get together and, you know, muck around and see what happens. And and we did and found that, you know, we could have, I don't know, two bands going on at the same time. You know, one more experimental, one more hard on Z, you know, whatever. And it's, and I think that's why we've kept going. And that's why we have longevity. It's sort of, I don't know. We just found a way to make it work. And thank God you did or do. Anyway, that is the third part of my interview with Peter Black from the Hard-Ons. Still more to come. But I think we should break it up in with another track by the band. This is taken from their 1989 album, which is titled Love is a Battlefield of Wounded Hearts. And this is the opening song, which is Don't Want to See You Cry. <laughs>
Wow, I know, we are literally hyperventilating with excitement. This band absolutely rocks. This is the Hard-Ons with a track titled Don't Want to See You Crime. And if you haven't listened to the band for a while, do just check out their whole back catalogue. It is fantastic. And you, if you're discovering them for the first time, you are so lucky. Anyway, this is going to be the fourth and final part of the interview with Peter, where I was talking about the kind of longevity of uh, bands and also the music business and trying to survive those tricky waters of being within a a group of so-called friends, which sometimes doesn't always work out, and also the industry, which is not also uh, not always that easy and um, talking about how one deals with that and navigates through those tricky waters and uh, being that being a person in music you have to be quite hard relentless and focused and this was Peter's response to that interesting comment or question even from me Peter how do you do it oh yeah look definitely like apparently in the next couple of weeks with me and Ray are doing this thing where we where we're going back to our school um uh, our high school and we're kind of, I guess, semi-famous there because, you know, uh, I guess part of our um, shtick that we used to use was yeah, we, we came from this school, you know, which is a little bit of a rough one. Um, you know, as I said before, you know, lower middle class and, uh, you know, multicultural. And there was, you know, sort of, you know, uh, gang violence and shit there. But, you know, still part of our history and stuff like that and and because it has been yes semi sort of known for it but you know all these years later there's a there's a a band there now that apparently doing really well uh you know doing really really good like winning band comps left right and center and stuff like that and getting a bit of attention and they want us to go to the school and have a public assembly and even talk to the to the band and you know give them music advice and shit like that and for me the only advice that i could honestly give them it's like if you love it you'll make it work you know and you have to love it you have to love it to make it work because well not only is it brutal but like nowadays there is no music industry like you know like people think it's a joke like well music should be free and it's like you know to me that is the fuckedest attitude ever because to create music is really fucking expensive and you know all of us have day jobs and you know i still rent you know i don't own a thing because you know i've dedicated my whole life to music and it's like i don't know you know can't stop i just really want to do it but that's the way we sort of work it's like you know i'll work and work and work until i have enough money to you know make my next record and that's just just the way it is these days and i know I'll make the record and I won't even get the money back for it because, you know, most people will download it and, you know, someone as hard as you try, you know, it'll be uploaded, you know, onto some sort of, you know, file sharing shit on the internet and, you know, away you go. So yes, that's my advice to any young band. It's like, if you love it, you'll do it. You'll, you'll make it work. Yes. I wonder, just going back, only 30 years, Jesus, I don't live in the past, do I? But you worked with one of our <laughs> fine British bands, didn't you? The Stupids. Jesus loves the Stupids. So you, did you, did that, how did that happen? Because frankly, you know, they were from Suffolk in England and you're in Australia. And um, suddenly you were sort of collaborating on an EP with each other. And I did an interview with 
I think Tom um, a few months ago and and heard their story as well, which is quite amazing. So did you, was it a kind of a kindred spirit kind of relationship? Ah, oh, definitely. Like when we hooked up, I can't even remember who suggested it. I, I have a feeling what it was was, um, and I hope I'm right, I'm pretty terrible with historical facts, um, but we were label mates in the UK um, because the Hardons were really lucky that we just went overseas almost from the word go and it, it you know, it just sort of took off. Um, and, yeah, we were both on Vinyl Solution and obviously it was probably our label and their label that said, man, you guys should tour together and do something together. And it was definitely kindred spirits. It was, fuck, it was so fucking fun touring with those guys. That's something I'll never forget. Yes. You know, we brought them out to Australia and they brought us out to, to the UK and it was, it was stupendous. <laughs> and also the other thing that's happened and you probably have seen them or at least know of them is that a lot of bands are now sort of bringing out films aren't they you know so uh, yeah so the chills had one come out the go-betweens the wedding present had one about their album george best i mean have you ever been tempted yourself because you know you've got this phenomenal history and probably a bit of footage there and an amazing story and i just wondered if someone's come along and said god you know we could we've got a 90 minute film here that's funny that you should say that because it's a little bit of a sore point here at the moment because we have had a guy making a documentary on us for the past 17, 18 years. And then he seemed to fall off the map. And we've said no to a lot of people um, who have approached us and said, oh, you know, I'd like to make a film on the Highlands. We're like, ah, someone's already doing it. And because we haven't heard from this guy in a number of years, Someone's come along recently who's just done a really good doco on Radio Birdman and said, I'd like to make one on you guys. And we're like, you know what? Fuck it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And then I did get in touch with the initial doco guy. And now we're trying to get them to work together, but I'm not sure if they get along. And so we've sort of got two people fighting over who is going to make a doco on us. So I guess there will be one eventually. I have no idea how hard it would be to make one or what it entails, and I just hope it does get made. <laughs> I think it would be pretty funny. But and I, and I do know for a fact the guy that's been fil uh, filming us for 17 years has some awesome footage. Um, in particular, he showed me a snippet that he did where he, he had an interview with Mike Davies from MC5 praising us because we met him in Arizona when we played um, – in the States, I think in the uh, early 90s, and he credits us as getting him back interested into music again up, you know, after he fell off the wayside. And, you know, for me, that's one of that's something I could probably take to the grave with me. You know, a member of the MC5 saying, you know, that he liked the hard ons. So, so I don't know. Yeah, it's convoluted, but. I guess the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, you know, I mean, one thing is, it's just great, especially for us fans, is that a lot of people now sort of getting their archives and thinking, I must do it now before I'm, t you know, it's too late. So let's get all the stuff up and out there so that it's going to be around for 
generations to come because bizarrely people are still going to want to discover bands from 30 50 you know 80 years ago aren't they really let's face it and also the documentary then sort of i don't know every time someone's done a documentary recently anyway because they've been pretty good um it's just always made you think god actually i must go back and find more about that band you know it kind of gives you another insight into them especially when you hear them talking about it and you know just the processes that people go through you kind of then appreciate bloody hell you know being in rock and roll is great but my god it was a it was not the easiest career move is it i know but you know we never saw it as a career i think if you do see it as a career which did happen after the nirvana thing like just just as a little side note i do remember one thing that was pretty funny was where we used to rehearse was a really well-known rehearsal studio which unfortunately through politics went under and gentrification like the like the 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 place got brought out um, in, in, in quite a corrupt way. But um, for many years, it was a huge institution. And, you know, all the bands would rehearse there and store your gear there. And, you know, and the owner uh, was an awesome guy, you know, just a shit hot place. And the one of the, one of the main newspapers, he came in and did a story so they wanted, to in, they wanted to interview one of the more older established acts like us and a couple of the younger bands. And, you know, when they interviewed us, we were like, yeah, yeah, you know, after, you know, 25 odd years, we're still doing it, loving it, blah, blah, blah. You know, we've all got day jobs now, but, you know, we're free Tuesday nights. So here we are, you know, still working on new shit. And, you know, actually we're going to tour again in September, blah, blah, blah. And then you... um. So that was our segment. And then you, the interview with the two younger bands were like, oh, we're going to be huge. You know, we're going to be huge, mate. We've got backing, you know, we've got management, you know, we've got this hot chick on base. And, you know, reading that was like, fuck, this has changed. No band from, you know, my era ever thought that way. You know, everyone just wanted to be good. You know, we just wanted to go out there and, and you know, I don't know, be a, a decent band and, you know, play shows and have a fuckload of fun. It was definitely not a career, like definitely not a career. It was, you know, once again, it was definitely, it was an artistic pursuit. So, you know, I think that's the thing with, with the bands that's, you know, stick around, I guess, you know, some can make a career, you know, like you've said, you know, bands like you two and stuff, you know, obviously you can get some bands that could, you know, make one song even, and, you know, you know, like I guess Sting, you know, he said in an interview not long ago, what song was that? Every Breath You Take or Every Move You Make or whatever whatever that track is, you know, he still gets almost five grand a day for that because it's played so much worldwide on radio. Yes. <clears throat> definitely not a career for the, for, for the you know, for the average Joe. No, this is true, actually. Look, this has been fantastic. So, well, thank you ever so much for giving me the time. I've got quite a bit there now, but what I'll do, I'll I'll put it out and and put it you know on, and um, then I'll send you a link, and then you can always kind of retweet it or face face whatever people do on social media, which is always a fascinating world. But anyway, this has been great, and 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 again, just a huge thank you for for sort of you know dedicating your life to rock and roll. <laughs> it's been great. Oh man, thank you. <laughs> Look, it's it's super appreciated. I'm glad I did this because i got to say, there's this thing I did in 2016 where I did, I recorded a song a day for the whole year, which was 
universally ignored. And I never wanted to be bitter, but that has made me slightly bitter. So I'm really iffy about doing interviews. So when people get in touch with me and go, oh, I want to do an interview, I'm, you know, nine times out of 10, I, I just pass it on to the other guys and say, nah, I've got no time. But um, speaking to you and your enthusiasm and your, you know, you have the exact same love that I have for music. You know, it's obvious, you know, all the bands that you've mentioned and stuff, all fucking fantastic. So I'm glad I did it as well. Yeah, no, it's been good. I still, you know, I still love that bit where you, you hear a song. It doesn't matter if it was recent or 30, 50 years ago. You just spend all week kind of replaying it. And every time you go into the kitchen in the car, you just, you think, I'll just hear that song one more time. Oh, no, I'll put it on one more time, you know, until you, you know, li literally sort of like, actually, I've, I've just played that to death. But you love it because it's still, it's now in your DNA, isn't it? And, and Girl in a Sweater was always one of those classics, you know, that you thought, Fuck it out! This is rock. This is per. You know, it's like Ace of Spades or Dancing Queen by Abba. You know, you think this is kind of pop perfection. You know, you couldn't better it. You know, because there's it just kind of all gels. And you know, you've got loads of other material, but you know, it's just magic when that that all lines up. You think, God, those guys or women, whatever, just got it together at that moment. So yeah, it's amazing. Man, that that's that's brilliant. That really warms my heart. Like you saying that. That really, I I mean it. We my whole heart that really means a fucking lot thank you very much they're really kind words and that is the last part of my interview with the amazing peter black from the hard-ons a huge thank you for giving me the time for that and uh, so appreciated appreciated it um a band that i've been trying to uh, interview for a very long time anyway this is david east of the c86 show if you want to contact me without sounding too desperate you can you don't have to by the way and um you know if you do you know make it creative or, or positive otherwise don't bother but you can via facebook or twitter just go to at c86 show and all the shows have been archived um on yeah those four four different platforms which is spotify itunes mixcloud and podbean um, just look for the c86 show and um, you might find a band that you're curious interested in etc etc anyway big thank you again and uh, look i'll leave you with another track by the hard-ons just for a change um this is get away have a great week